Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I I have twin daughters who are eight, and uh, one of them came to me this week, I think it was this week, recently, and and just sort of uninitiated, engaged me in a conversation, and they were like, uh, wouldn't it be fun, what if we just took like the first day of every month and uh, just cleaned the house and reorganized? right? Like even the fridge, you know, what if we just, wouldn't that be fun? And I looked at her like, are you insane? First, and then I said, you've been spending too much time with your mother, um, right? Like uh, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. But, but I, I, I want to suggest to you this morning that, uh, that that kind of feeling like this season in the life of the church, we're going to talk here in just a moment, like we're asking you to join us in prayer and fasting. It's a season in the life of the church, and as we'll see in Haggai, this feeling that, that sometimes in life things seem to get disordered or, or just, just kind of creep beyond the limits of our control, and that in that space, the, the urge, the feeling to control what we can, right, like to just, man, maybe we just need to clean house, or uh, right, that, that, that urge uh, is, is the, the force of that is strong with us, right? Uh, and I think Haggai, as we'll see in just a moment, speaks to that uh, impulse, that, that pull. So I'm going to ask you to read with me. I have it on the screen here. Uh, this is a short, a short, short book in the Old Testament, and we're going to drag it out as long as we can. So buckle up, right? I'm just going to read you the first two verses this morning. And uh, this is riveting stuff. So again, buckle up. Here we go. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, right? I could tell from the inspired look on your faces, you're feeling the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in, in, in this moment. As we step into it, I want, again, I want you to keep that feeling too, but, but I just want to set some context here. And the first context I want to set is, is uh, I guess the word is biblical. So in the book of the Bible, this, this collection of books, like what is, where is Haggai? What's it doing? And, and maybe we know this, maybe we don't, but I just, again, just to kind of situate where we are in the story of scripture. You know, you got like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the kind of the beginning, right? The Torah, we call it, this book, kind of the first stories and the beginning of the people of God, God giving shape to them, and Mount Sinai, all these kind of beautiful moments. And then we move out of those stories into the historical books, these collections. Again, they're a collection of books that tell the history of those people uh, all the way through. So as you continue reading the Old Testament, you'll read, uh, there'll be like wisdom literature, there'll be prophets, but, but the stories in which those prophets' words are situated are told in the historical books like Kings and Chronicles, Joshua and Judges, stories like Ruth. Uh, in fact, you, you keep reading. So even though they're, they're towards the front of your Bible, they're, they're, they're giving you the whole arc of the biblical, of the Old Testament story. And uh, in those collection of books, you'll come to Ezra and Nehemiah, right? And, and they're, they're kind of giving you the history, the story again of, of the people that began in, in the first five books. Ezra and Nehemiah gives you sort of what's happening to them at the end of, of the arc of the Old Testament, uh, into that space where we wait for 
Christmas, when Christmas happens. And, and, and Haggai, so this little book, is situated in the events that are told in that story in Ezra and Nehemiah. We call Haggai one of like the minor prophets. And again, that doesn't mean, uh, that is not a reference to uh, his significance, but just to the length of his book. And actually a collection of 12 uh, that we call the book of the 12, the minor prophets. But there's some major prophets too, like Isaiah, who we sat with at Christmas, and Jeremiah, these kind of longer works. But all of these prophets, their writings find their sort of context in the, in the books of the Old Testament. Uh, they, they find their moment in the stories you get in Kings and Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah, these historical books. So that's, that's what we're sitting with uh, in, in Haggai, uh, this, this particular sort of little book in the Old Testament. Um, and, and I want to like uh, suggest to you that um, I think what we find in these first couple of verses is just as true now as it was uh, to the, for the people to whom he's writing. And, and I want to suggest to you that what he writes, he writes to a people uh, trying to find their way, okay, in a world that's just sort of spinning around, right? So he's, uh, this is kind of where we start, that he writes to a people trying to find their way in a world spinning around. Are there any, are there any Beatles fans in the house? There's a couple of you, right? I, I was kind of reflecting. I'm like, I know this line. I know this lyric. And it came to me, and I started singing it in the house. You know, the fool on the hill. Anyone? But the fool on the hill. No? Right? Sees the sun going down. The eyes in his head. See the world spinning round. Yeah. Okay. You guys, my, uh, just looked at me the same way. You guys are looking at me now like, what, what are you doing? Please just move on. Uh, but, but this feeling that Haggai writes to a moment where people, uh, you get the feeling in these first two verses. So we're going to reflect on verse 1 and 2. I want to suggest to you that verse 1 taps into that feeling of just being kind of lost in a world that's just sort of spinning round and sometimes spinning round out of control. I think we see it, again, if, if you're looking at it here, I think we see it in the really sort of uh, boring bits, perhaps, in these descriptions like in the second year of Darius which you're probably thinking, like me, what relevance does Darius have to my life uh, in 2021 in Overland Park in Kansas City? Well, again, I think what he does here is he situates us not just in the story of the Bible, but in history. This is a really concrete, a particular moment, the second year of Darius. And there's a purpose here for this little history lesson, and I hope it will, I hope it will land, but uh, if it doesn't, please don't hold it against me. All right. So when, when, when Haggai writes, he says, in the second year of Darius, there's a whole, he's calling to mind a whole sort of series of histor uh, historical moments. Uh, so in, in those history books of the Old Testament, we learn that the kingdom of Israel, God's people, had been divided and split into. There'd been a, 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 just a civil break, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the, the, the northern kingdom, uh, in the, again, over the course of those events, had been overrun by the Assyrian Empire, and the people had been deported, taken away scattered. Their approach in that moment as overlords was to kind of scatter them abroad. But then we read a little bit later, we find it in the prophets and the stories of the Old Testament, uh, that the Babylonians sort of rise on the stage of geopolitical power in the world at that time. And that they, they come in and overrun the southern kingdom. Uh, Israel again split, so they come in and overrun the southern kingdom, and they also deport, but they take a different approach than the Assyrians. They resettle the people of God and, and keep them in groups. So they maintain a bit of their identity, but they're now like removed from their home. 
But the, you know, as things happened, the, the Babylonians eventually fade from the scene of, of geopolitical power, and in their place rise the Persians, the Persian Empire, led by Cyrus. And we actually see him named in Isaiah, kind of talking about sort of how the world stage is changing. And, and we see the Persians rise, and they take an even different approach to sort of their overlordship of these people. They, they come in and, 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 and drive them out, remove them home, but then they send them back to their homeland and also like fund projects to allow them to kind of rebuild bits of their national and religious identity. And in a sense, sort of, they, they win their fealty, right? So they, they now owe their allegiance to sort of their Persian overlords, but they're allowed to build back a bit of their life. And all that's wrapped up, right, in this, this opening phrase, in the second year of Darius. Interestingly, so Cyrus was the, interesting to me, maybe not to you this morning, right? Uh, but, but, you know, Cyrus was the, the ruler, the emperor, but he had sort of been off a, a dealing with his own militaristic campaigns. And over the course of that moment, there's a bit of political intrigue and others rise and, and, and there's a coup and that kind of stuff. And, and out of that, uh, Darius sort of rises up and works to consolidate his power in the Persian Empire. And Haggai says it's in the middle of all of that political intrigue. Right, all that stuff that seems so distant and beyond our control, the world just kind of going around, this sort of group of people being shuffled around, just sort of lost in all of that. Uh, Haggai writes to them, like situates what he's about to tell us in this moment of the world spinning round, right, on a grand stage, right? But then he gives us another detail. He says that it was, you know, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. If you're like me, you read stuff like this, you're just like, I'm just going to get to the good parts, right? <laughs> uh, well, this, this, it doesn't inspire or speak, but, but again, I think it's a detail that just makes what Haggai is going to tell us concrete, that, that he's writing to people that are lost in this sort of grand shuffle of power. But now he brings it, he, he closes that circle in a little bit, and for them, in their moment, they're at a moment of celebration, of harvest, a, a season in, 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 in the uh, course of their rhythm of life where there would have been maybe a cause or opportunity to celebrate uh, their own story and their own place in the world. And then he moves a little bit further, kind of at the end of verse 1. He, we get lost in these names, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I know you guys all kind of write that down. You're going to write that down and put it on your mirror this week to inspire you in prayer and, and in your faith, right? But again, these are figures that actually show up in several uh, places in, these, in the books, historical and prophets uh, of the Old Testament that give shape to what is happening at this moment in, in the story of the Bible. Zerubbabel, uh, we'll see him in, in Haggai, as we'll see. He'll come up again later, uh, and, and we bump into him in other books. But this he becomes like a picture of hope of what God may do in the future. And we'll see that. But, but all I want to sort of draw your attention to in this moment is that he's, uh, Haggai writes to them, and he, call, he focuses our attention. We get even more concrete, even smaller now, to these two leaders, civil, right? So um, Zerubbabel uh, serving kind of as governor, kind of a civil leader, and, and uh, Joshua, a, a, a religious leader. Both of them probably sort of appointed uh, by the Persian overlords, themselves exiled, sent back, and sort of designated by uh, Persian leaders to, to sort of lead this rebuild. And you guys, I'm hoping right now you're like, if you're still listening at all, you're thinking, what is the point of all this? And I think that's exactly the point, right? The point I want you to take away this morning is that in the middle of all of that sort of 
particularity, right? Like all of these details that seem to have little relevance to your life or mine, big and small, geopolitical, grand in scale, or just the, the rhythms of their everyday life, we find this beautiful truth right here in Haggai. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. I, I, think, I think there was a lot of hope in that move, in this little story. That in the midst, right, that in the midst of, of this kind of the world just sort of spinning round on its own, sometimes out of our control, sometimes overwhelming us, in the midst of all of that, we read this beautiful hope that the word of the Lord finds a place of expression in the lives of these people. And, and maybe, I don't know, I, I, I have to believe, um, if my life is any indication, that this is a feeling we carry, maybe you carry this morning, right? That maybe you're in the middle, you're just kind of like the world kind of spinning around. Maybe it's a boring sort of mundane activity and you're just taking one day after the next. Maybe, again, it's an overwhelming feeling, geopolitical or otherwise. You're lost in headlines and, and, and just what is going on in the world in the midst of all of that. All of those historical markers for Haggai, but maybe the particulars of your life and all of the questions that may arise from it. We get this concrete sort of message from Haggai that even while the world is spinning round, yours and mine, yours and mine, sometimes within our control, but often with, without, we get the promise that God is working. I think this is a bit of the hope uh, here. That we're, and I hope, uh, I hope, my hope is that wherever you might be in your life, whatever sort of particularities you're juggling in, in your own sort of spinning world, that if you don't hear anything else this morning, you'll leave with a bit of hope, just as Haggai extends it to the people to whom he's writing, that the word of the Lord, that God is at work. He's at work. And uh, I think that brings us, so that's verse one, right? That even lost in all these details, just as may perhaps be lost in the details of your life, is the gospel hope and promise that God is, God is working in the details. But I think that brings us to verse two uh, here in the passage. Um, and, and here I think what, what we find God through Haggai doing is addressing a tendency in all of us. That in the middle of a world, maybe yours, right? Uh, spinning just on its own, perhaps out of your control, perhaps overwhelming. In the middle of all that, we find uh, God through Haggai speaking to a group of people who were just trying to survive. We might say that in the, pardon the attempt at, I don't know, uh, poetry, for lack of a better word, but in the midst of a world spinning around, Haggai's writing to a group of people who are just trying to keep their feet on the ground, right? So you'll remember that. Uh, that's my hope. You'll remember that, right? That, that the hope of the gospel here in this moment is, is not written to a people who have it all together. It's written to a group of people, as we'll see in just a moment, who are just doing their best, heads down, feet on the ground, trying to stay upright in a world that's just spinning, spinning, spinning. And I, I think we see that in the second verse. Listen to what uh, Haggai says. This is how he begins this opening uh, letter to uh, or this, this prophecy. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, a title for God's greatness in the Old Testament. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And maybe you're thinking again, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, here's a bit, again, just a bit of the context. What's happening? What's he talking about? 
Well, again, we've referenced Haggai is writing to a moment that we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. And it's the story, again, of God's people being sent back home by the Persians, right? Sent back home to rebuild. And in those books, we learn that, that they had worked to, to rebuild the foundations of the temple. This picture of God's presence with them, even in the midst of all of their brokenness. But in Haggai, we discover that that's as far as they had gotten. They had gotten so far as to lay the foundation, but then had like just been overrun with with the world as it was at that time and had given up, had stopped. In a sense, had just said, man, I, I, I can't possibly see how God could be at work or present in the midst of the world as I know it at this moment. So head down, feet on the ground. I gotta look out for me and mine, which is a move that Haggai will address in the coming weeks. But what we see happening, right, is that, again, this is early in that return home. They've begun the process of rebuilding, but have just fizzled out. They've given up. You can almost hear it, right, in this phrase. So he's challenging them, right? They're, they're, they're wrestling with this feeling like, you know, how could we possibly, right, pay attention to building God's house in the midst of all that is going on in the world? God can't possibly be in any of this. We hear in that, I think, perhaps a feeling we understand of just giving up, right? Why struggle why well, struggle to see God at work when, it's, when it takes all the effort you have and, and I have to just sort of survive from day to day, right? To just kind of hold it all together in the rhythms of our own life. I mean, this was the story of the people to whom Haggai is writing. There'd been famine. There, there, there was pressure from outside. We again read that story in, in other books of the Old Testament. Like uh, they'd been persecuted by uh, other regional leaders in their area. So they'd just been like, what's, what's the use? We, we can't throw energy here. We just, we have to give up. And into that moment, right, into that moment of kind of quiet despair, maybe a despair that you have felt during the last year, just trying to hold it all together. Into that moment of despair, we, we bump into Haggai. God sends Haggai. And, and in this moment of, of despair, in a sense, says, don't get lost. right? Don't, don't give up. I'm at work. Don't, don't lose hope. I'm, I'm at work. The word of the Lord came, even in this moment where things are spinning out of control. I, I want to suggest to you that we probably make, we tend to make that same confession that we find in Haggai, right? The time has not yet come. This can't possibly be the moment in my life when you expect me to see, to search for, to work for uh, evidence of God's goodness and grace in my life. And maybe that is something you feel. I, I think it's probably, it is the pull of the human heart, right? Particularly in our world, in this moment, as things sort of spin in the way in which they are uh, or get spun, all of those things, like in the midst of all of that dizzying sort of craziness, you expect me, God, to, to know that you're good and you're at work? How could you possibly be at work in, in this moment? How could, how could, make it more personal, God, how could you possibly care about the particulars of my life in this particular moment, given all that's going on? Maybe, maybe like the people to whom Haggai writes, there's a feeling of smallness, of, of I'm just kind of lost in the mundane. I just got to keep my life going. I know the world is sort of spinning nuts, so I just got to head down and, and, and it's taking all the effort I have. God, how could you possibly expect me to consider your work here? And this, I think, is the question, Haggai, that, he gives to you and me this morning. 
that he speaks to that feeling in us that, man, the world is just spinning. And in response to that, we tend to just try to keep our feet planted on the ground, doing all we can. And in, in the midst of that feeling, how can I speak to new and gracious word? It's one of the reasons... It's one of the reasons over these next few weeks, uh, particularly if you call Park City home, we want to invite you into a season of prayer with us and fasting. I know fasting is kind of a big word, and we're not going to spend a lot of time sort of stepping into that, but we just want to invite you to to pray with us at a moment when the church in in the world steps into a season of of repentance and prayer and and fasting as well. And maybe for you over these next few weeks, you'll, you'll give something up. Right, you'll, you'll choose to kind of lay, lay something down or set something aside. Maybe it's like soda or, uh, or cinnamon bears, okay? Uh, true confession here, right? Um, if you haven't had them, don't start now because there's no going back, right? <laughs> um, you know, maybe you'll lay something down or, or maybe you'll pick something up, right? Maybe your life has kind of been lost in its own rhythms. And during this season, you'll say, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to pause for a moment each day and add something to my life. Or maybe before, you know, I'll close the laptop and before I have to step into whatever is waiting for me outside of my bedroom slash workroom, I'll just pause for a moment to say, God, I need you. So whatever that might look like for you, I think Haggai speaks to this move where where we want to invite you to step with us as a church. Because here's what I want to suggest to you, that during the season of prayer and fasting, Uh, that that we are in a sense making the same confession that we've read about this morning, right? First of all, we're confessing when we fast, when we pray, we're confessing, God, I I know my tendency is to live by my own timetable. How could you possibly be at work here? I mean, that's what's happening in Haggai. They're like, "We, we don't have the energy or the effort, even the interest to sort of focus on what you might be doing here. God, we're doing all we can just to kind of build our lives back. Right, so so that when we when we pray and fast in, in this season, we confess first that we know we tend to live by our own timetable, and so we we step into prayer and fasting and, and confess and remember the psalm that we read this morning that our times are in His hands. That even when the world is just kind of spinning and it's hard to find our place in it or to keep our balance in it, that we confess, yes, I know I, I'm t- I tend to just sort of live by my own, but I acknowledge my need for you, that you hold my times in your hands. It's, it's a way to pray with the psalmist that Aaron read for us this morning in Psalm 31. It's a way to pray with the psalmist, but also with Jesus, who picks up the language of that psalm on the cross. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. God, I acknowledge that, you know, the world is spinning. I'm doing my best to to stay upright. But I acknowledge that you hold all of this, that even the details of my life are in your hands. All of this is yours. All of this. Right? The time that I use well and the time that I don't. Right? All of it is yours. God, all of my time, all of it in this moment is yours to redeem all of it, that in a world spinning round, and maybe this is your life spinning round and round, where it takes all that you can do just to stay upright, feet on the ground, we remember God is here and he's at work. God is here and he's at work. So we're going to ask you to, to join us. And I just... This is how it's going to look, again, for those of you that that, uh, are with us in Call Park City Home. Over these next few weeks, we'll start next Sunday. We're going to put something in your hand each week, just a prompt that you can take with you throughout the week. 
And these prompts for us will focus on, on kind of uh, what, what we aim at here as a church. We want to be a place that helps you know and follow Jesus. And that as a result, you begin to welcome and serve others. And so as we pray about what it means to be a church in the world now, as it spins the way it does. As your pastor, as I pray about what it means for us to be a community at a moment when community seems so disrupted. You have graciously been so faithful. As we pray about those things, we're, we're going to kind of walk through sort of what all of these look like for us. Now, we're going to ask you to join us. So each week, you'll either get it in the mail or we'll hand it to you here when you come. And there might be some space on there for you. Maybe if you've got kiddos, you want to pray together as a family. You sit down, you let them color, doodle, draw all over it or, or whatever. And in that moment, you engage them in prayer and conversation. Talk to them about Jesus. Or maybe, you know, it's, it's just a prompt you take and put it somewhere where you can see it. Maybe you flip it over and do a bit of writing yourself. I don't know how you step into it, but our hope is that you will join us, that you will join us in in praying for our church, yes, but for our community as you pray for your life as well. Uh, I, uh, for those of you who don't know, sort of back at the beginning of who we were as a church, Park City, uh, the language we used, and I've, I've hung on to, I don't know if it always comes through, is that, is that at, at the heart of everything we, we do, we want to be a place where your life intersects God's grace. Because I, I know and am convinced that's the only remedy and answer to the pressure to perform, to live up, to the shame that you may carry. We use really theological words like sin for that, but the only answer for all of that is God's grace. It's not to be better. It's not to work harder. It's not to try. It's not to earn more moral merit badges. None of that. The only remedy to all of that uh, is God's grace grace. So we want to be a place where your life intersects God's grace. It's actually what's behind the logo. Uh, if you've seen our logo or as, as you leave, uh, kind of the intersecting line started out as a grid of kind of downtown Overland Park. And then uh, some creative folks in our community kind of played with that image a little bit and, and landed with sort of the lines, the intersecting lines that we have now as an image of, of the kind of place we want to be. We want to be a place where your life intersects God's grace. And we know our conviction is that as your life comes into contact with his grace, And then as you go into all the particular details of your life, every life that intersects yours bumps into that grace again as well. And we just want to perpetuate uh, the good news of that gracious gift uh, here and everywhere we go. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to step into that. And I I want to ask you uh, to step into that with us. You can follow it on social media. We'll be putting stuff out like that. Even if you don't call Park City home, we'd encourage you just to step into the season of prayer with us here. And which raises the question, what, what do we pray this week? I want to ask you to pray one prayer every day or however you step into this. Maybe if you lay something aside in that moment, I, I want you to pray in the spirit of Haggai and what we read this morning. I want you to pray one prayer, and I simply want you to ask God the question, where is your grace in my life now? Right? A really simple question. Maybe prayer is new to you. Like, I don't know what to pray. Right? I'm going to just pray these words. Just take them and just pray it. See what happens. God, where is your grace in my life now? Now. That means all the stuff you're trying to juggle like kids and vocation in the same space <laughs> and education in the same sort of bedroom, right? Uh, all of the stuff you carry, you're maybe the weight of injustice and, and you, you long for that to be made better and you work and it seems to continue to spin out of control and then you don't seem to be able to make any difference. Man, well, what does God's grace look, life in your li- look like in your life now? Take that prayer and, and, and make it uh, a part of your life over this next 
week. Because here's what I, I want to suggest as we close that Haggai suggests to us. Right? His mere presence in the story of the Bible. Right? That's, that's really all we've established this morning. That his, the, the mere presence of this book in the Bible is a hope. That in the midst of a world spinning out of control, beyond our control, when really all we know how to do is just do everything we can to kind of keep our head down and our feet on the ground, that somehow in the midst of all of that, God invites us. Instead of, instead of, sort of looking down, keeping our feet on the ground, he invites us to look at him, to remember that he is at work in your life, in the world, and that somehow, graciously, in that move, we find the strength to keep going, to stay upright. I, I'll leave you with, with one last image. I asked you what your favorite time of the day was. Uh, in, in my home, uh, we have a couple favorite times of the day. One is 11 11. It's really specific, I know. Uh, I won't rat out. It's not me or my children, but someone in our home, 11 11, is their favorite time of the day uh, because of the way it looks on a digital clock, you know, to each their own, right? Um, but another favorite time in our, in our home recently, uh, and I don't know, again, I'm going to blame this. I've blamed you for a lot today, Jess. I'm sorry, but. Uh, another one that recently has sort of risen to the surface is noon because of the way it looks on like a, an, an old-fashioned clock, right? I don't know what you call those. Analog? Is that an analog clock, right? I can't do it because I'm holding a mic. But somehow we started this game where at noon, uh, everyone's hands go up in the air straight up, and, and we, we do this little song and dance, right? It's 12. You guys want to do it with me? No. It's 12. It's 12. It's not 11.59. It's not 12.01. It's 12. It's 12, right? I know. You guys are like, oh, my gosh. Really specific yeah, right. Yeah. Interestingly, it's grown, right? It's grown. So now we discovered we could do this. Well, 6 o'clock is down here, right? So it's, it's 6. It's 6, right? Not 559. Uh, yeah, you know, you got to celebrate the little things, right? The world is spinning out of control. Sometimes it's the, it's the little things. It, it's grown, in fact. My kids now, they're like setting alarms on Alexa or, or no alarm. And out of the blue, I'll hear like, ah, ah. And I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? And their hands are up. And it's 12. It's, so I'm like, oh, it's just noon. Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, here's what I uh, want to suggest to you is the hope of Haggai, right? That, that what we read this morning in the midst of all those details that seem so distant and removed, that seem really insignificant to you and me, Haggai tells us that God is in those insignificant details, in the, the times that seem so small, that seem like, oh, you can do in that moment. It's just do your best to hang on. Haggai says, God is there. He is at work. He holds your time. Noon, 6 o'clock, and 11.11, he holds your time in his hands. The small and significant ones, the big out of reach ones, in the midst of all that you carry, God, how could you possibly be here in this? How could, more to the point, how could I possibly be able to pay attention to what you're, what you're doing here? Haggai says, our times are in your hands, and that includes this time and your time this morning. Will you? Stay? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.